Welcome to Hillhurst United Church, the podcast. We're really glad you're here. Whoever you are, wherever you're at, join us on the journey. We are uh, sitting outside of Hillhurst United Church on a sunny day. It's Thursday. It's a little chilly, uh, but here we are. And I'm really pleased to have David Keegan from our congregation with us this morning. Uh, we're going to be in conversation uh, about many things today. And I'm thrilled David's going to be here, uh, part of our congregation for a long time. What drew him to the congregation, I know, is musicals. He was in The Sound of Music, Honk, uh, Narnia, uh, B&B, Beauty and the Beast, and Joseph. And I also remember, I was telling him before we started about uh, the baptism of his son, John. I remember standing at the front of the church and saying, okay, we're going to baptize John. But hold on, John wasn't in the room, neither was David. Suddenly the back door wide open, charges in David with John under his arm. Got him! I needed to change a diaper. So anyway, here we are in this place. Uh, David, you are uh, a congregant, a singer, a friend, and you are in the midst of this COVID uh, experience we're in as a medical doctor. And we thought it was so important to hear from you. You know, I picked up this morning's paper, uh, as I often do. Well, I don't pick it up, but I read it. Alberta in crisis. Uh, Nobody uh, here is, um, well, everyone here is aware we're in this. From your side and what you're seeing, what's going on? What do you make of what's going on with COVID in Alberta 18 months in? Well, and this connects, is the the actual main reason, the first reason we came to Hillhurst United Church was my wife found Hillhurst online and she said, David, listen to this. Whoever you are, wherever you're at, come join us. And we thought, hey, that, that fits for us, and, and nice. we're here. And that connects to where we are today, because Alberta is a society. Our, our government hasn't enabled us to actually get through this together. So where we are right now is uh, our health system is breaking. And what does that mean? What that means is that we are days away from not having the space or the people with the correct kind of knowledge and skills to take care of people who get seriously ill. What that means is that all sorts of surgeries and other procedures are being delayed. So there's gonna be death and impairment and worsened disability and worsened outcomes and more depression and more chaos in people's lives because of delayed procedures so that we've been able to care for people who are urgently critically ill today. What it means is that our healthcare workers are all exhausted and not being supported by the government. The, the government had all the projections, all the scientific projections months ago. We should never have reduced our restrictions so quickly after the third wave, and the government knew that, but they did it anyways. They did it anyways in a false hope, thinking that the, the, there was a decoupling of cases uh, and admissions, when in fact the research showed there wasn't a decoupling in Alberta, Canada, or the United States, and yet they did it anyways. And then when the, all the scientific projections showed we were going to have this big wave nothing happened and when they finally brought in weak restrictions they were the weakest ever the mass exemption had holes so where we are now is we're in a place that i've never lived in my life and probably most people haven't before where our government has chosen disability death and despair as a purposeful choice and so what does that do to people what does that do to people our friends and our neighbors and our family what does that do to our colleagues? What does that do to our health system and people trying to do their best and getting exhausted when our government has been just doing so little, so late, 
with all sorts of ridiculous exemptions that make no medical sense. We're in for, unfortunately, the next two, three, maybe four weeks are going to be the darkest times maybe in Alberta's history. So what we can do is care for each other, get vaccinated, mask up, be kind, try to limit activities with other people, don't eat indoors, and do your absolute best to stay safe. You know, one of the things, uh, I, I agree with you, I've been saying for a long time, I think October, November is gonna be tough. Uh, and and I actually, I, I worry about violence. I mean, I, there's a huge anger in our culture. Uh, all of us have just below the surface, uh, this anger that's simmering. Uh, one of the things that's disturbed me so much uh, as an Albertan when I travel is to say I'm an Albertan. I've been so embarrassed by that, and that bothers me. But also when I see protesters outside the hospital, I just want to shake and go, what is this about? Uh, what's your take on, what are you hearing from your colleagues and nurses and doctors about going for 12-hour shifts, dealing with people who are very ill and stepping out and then being harassed? What's what's that about? Well, they hate it. They don't understand it. And they're they're confused and they're, they say like, so really the person who's against vaccinations, who's not gonna get vaccinated, who has a high likelihood of getting sick is protesting to the exact people who are gonna help them. But more important than that is what the kids in my practice are saying. I've got kids in my clinic who are crying with their mask on saying, I don't understand why adults just won't do what they're supposed to do. Why aren't the grownups doing what they're supposed to do? The kids have had their friendships and their schooling interfered with and zooming back and forth between, well, Zoom and in person and reducing children's ability to engage with each other, to go to school, to be involved in sports and so on. Those are the absolute last things we should be restricting. We've got still so many more options, but we're, we're at this point where it's like, Again, we're, people are angry, but what they're doing is they're hurting kids. You hurt kids, that has trickle-down effects. That's eating disorders, that's suicide attempts, that's anxiety. Like I think of these kids, so many, who've, who've just been crying in my clinic, saying, why can't grown-ups do what grown-ups are supposed to do? And you know what, they're right. So why are people angry? I don't know, I think it's because they've got a lot of hurt inside somewhere. Nobody wants this. Like. I don't want any of the things that we want now. I don't want any restrictions. I hate masks. I, I hate all this, but we all do. Of course we do. But when I went to school, we learned like multiple times that, you know, a free society means that your restrictions might have to be sometimes compromised when there's an outbreak of a major disease. We, we learned this so many times. And, and I think some people maybe either didn't learn it or don't believe it. But I, th I think that the root of anger is fear and sadness and grief, but it's really just exploding now. And my colleagues who are having to see these protests, they're, they're just upset. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I see lots of anger and I, you know, I so sympathize with healthcare workers who, uh, are involved in, um, helping and caring for people in a very difficult time. You know, as this, uh, as I think about this and I think about how this relates to our church, are outside so that we're safe uh, on a cool day uh, talking about this issue I've been thinking a lot about healing because that's a big part of what you do and the people you work with and I'm aware that uh, they all say that Jesus number one thing he was a healer uh, 
Marcus Borg, who wrote a book, Meeting Jesus Again for the First Time, says Jesus was a spirit person. Uh, he was a healer, a prophet, uh, a wisdom teacher, and a movement maker. That is, he was about a movement, not about an institution. But that's another sermon. But the healing part is this. Uh, Jesus, uh, they say, was a part of physical healings, that he had some kind of capability to heal. And some people will dis dismiss that right now, but probably everybody knows there, there are people in the world who heal. But more than that, Jesus was uh, someone who was about a grander healing. So they'll say that Jesus healed disease, that is physical ailment. But more than that, he was about healing dis-ease. Dis-ease is the cultural, social, economic, political unrest in the world by inviting people to a kind of compassion and justice and love that was wider. So the dis-ease of the world. You know, in the biblical text that we're looking at today, there's a great line, which I love, of Jesus. It's a wisdom text. Here's this guy who's been sitting around a healing pool for 38 years. He's not getting any getting better. And Jesus walks by and he looks at the guy and he simply says this, do you want to be well? Do you want to be well? And I think that's a key question. He doesn't assume. Uh, Jesus asked the question, do you want to be well? I have, a, I have a sense that's the question all of us have to say as Albertans, do we want to be well? And what does it mean uh, to be well in our culture and our society? When you think about uh, where we're at in the social uh, environment, what's your sense of that, about healing as a society? I think you're right. I think the key thing is, what do we want to happen from the pandemic? And if our common goal, and I think it is, every single Albertan wants to be free of these restrictions, every single Albertan wants to enjoy life and the world we're in as much as we can and grow and learn and have our kids thrive. I think people pretty much can agree on that. The challenge is that we've got disagreement on how to get there, despite science showing the path and not just science, like we've got Newfoundland, Labrador, PEI, Nova Scotia, within our own country have, from the beginning have, had, have been able to actually have the least overall restrictions and the low, a very low rate of infections, um, you know, zero in many days, because they've taken a strong approach early, and then they're able to dial things down quickly. And so when we're in our own country and can see that example, and other countries around the world, France did a big study on Canada, looking at how within Canada, there's been the two approaches. And, and then when Quebec is able to look at that too, and change, strategy so quebec was more like the albertan strategy but now has shifted and as a result they are nowhere near in the difficult place that alberta is right now so when we've got all this evidence if we can somehow come together and be strategically guided about what do we want do we want to heal from this pandemic and get our lives back closer to normal if the answer is yes then let's just follow the example of and the humility of quebec for sh shifting gears now, I know that that's a bit of an issue for Alberta, maybe to be inspired by Quebec. So let's just be inspired by Nova Scotia. <laughs> um, but then there's, what do we do with all of this where we're looking at people who are our friends, maybe family, who have taken very anti-science stances that we know have made the pandemic worsen? You know, how do we heal that? I I think with as much openness and compassion and mercy and forgiveness as we can, it's hard to do right now when we've got a government that still is not requiring close contacts of positive 
patients to quarantine that still is allowing all sorts of exemptions to the new measures. If only we had clear guidance that was based on science and a humility in our leaders to say we were wrong, we were really wrong, and now we're going to do everything in our power to protect Albertans. If we had that, then we can move forward. All we need, all we need is about nine weeks of good, solid measures, and we can get to where Nova Scotia, PEI, and Newfoundland and Labrador are. That's it. That's, it's just a little bit of patience to not strip away measures too quickly. If that had been done in June, we would never have had this wave. We would have had, sure, the occasional person, but you test, trace, and isolate. So it's challenging when, the, when things are on fire. It's like, it's like a house. You know, if a candle is lit and it's in a safe place, you could probably walk away. But if your kitchen's on fire, you can't pretend the kitchen's on fire. And it's kind of hard to have a really nice healing conversation with somebody when the kitchen's on fire. So we have to recognize our kitchen is on fire. People, we are, we are heading into maybe the darkest times in Alberta's history, including the Dust Bowl years, including wartime. This is our home front and we share it. And as long as we can get clear, strong, principled, science-based leadership, then we can move forward and we can quickly get to COVID zero and reopen our, our world and our society and give each other hugs. So when you, that's helpful. So you're sort of clearly saying, which I saw in the Globe and Mail, there was a story that you called for, uh, for an, a lockdown of sorts, uh, or not, maybe not of sorts. A firebreak. A which? <laughs> Don't want to use the L word. <laughs> okay. But really, but, yes. But so what uh, you know yes. what you're doing, you're saying, you're saying, look, it's going to be, we need two months of solid work on this, and then that'll get us through kind of back to a normal, quote yes. unquote. As on, if we can do every measure, protect kids' ability to hopefully be able to do school and activities, it's, we, it might be just so bad now that we might be forced. There, there is transmission children, despite what some people will deny. It's, no, it's real. There is transmission children. If we had very close testing, tracing, isolation, even testing of non-symptomatic people, with, which again, is still not accommodated by the government. Government is not doing, is not permitting testing of people without symptoms you know but if we brought in all these proper measures we could protect school kids ability to continue to maybe like engage with each other properly or as best we can and everything else tightened up dramatically we can get to a place it was there we, we could have prevented the second wave we could have prevented the third wave we could have prevented this wave so let's prevent the fifth wave because the fifth wave is coming the fifth wave will be here. There is the Lambda variant. There is the Mu variant. There are going to be new variants. This is the most diabolical virus we've ever encountered. So we're going to be in this situation again, but we can prevent it just like the Atlantic provinces have. Okay. So when you know when you talk about very practical things, which you're saying, uh, and and the pandemic in particular. Uh, you know, I've heard people say that in, in church world that this is the major shift in the last 500 years. The biggest thing that we've had to deal with as churches and as all institutions, education, government, uh, health care, etc. Major, major shift. I, I, I've heard people say this is going to take at least a decade. And the, the shifting and breaking and crumbling and rebuilding is, is a, probably a good thing in that we'll ha have a more solid uh, future together. The Jewish people would call it uh, tukalam, which means the repair of the world. 
uh, and we're seeing that with climate change. We're seeing that with uh, uh, violence around the world. It feels like all of this is coming into our attention so that we can uh, shake ourselves into a long and lasting healing. Do you believe that? Yes, and I think, like I'm appalled by some of the absolutely immoral things I've seen church leaders say and do in this pandemic. You know, I've seen videos of mega church people saying that COVID is fake and so on. It's like, I, I, I can understand when, when somebody who's got a busy life might, you know, not understand that this is possibly real and maybe that there's potential risk for vaccines, but then they, you seek out good information and, or good sources of information. But I don't understand when a leader of a church clearly seems to be putting something else in front of life and love. Like, I, I just don't understand that, except for it would seem that they've decided that politics, the money, something is more important. The the size of the church or I don't know what it is. It's an embarrassment in, to me. I mean, I, I uh, you get embarrassed of being a church leader when people brand all the same. Uh, one of the things you've told me is that Hillhurst has a good reputation in the medical community uh, for the the uh, policies that we're following, the strategy we're following in around this healthcare thing. Because I think it's it's hard to you can't paint all paint everybody with the same brush. So I, my question for you too is, you know, what what's been helpful to you uh, personally going through all of this? Well, lots of things. First. Um, as many people know, I've had a very complex health journey this past year. So what's been helpful are the people who've cared for me personally. Uh, so my, my wife and my kids have been uh, a huge help during this time period, but I've had some great healthcare providers. But beyond that though, I have to say, I've been really, it's, it's been really wonderful to think that, okay, our church believes in science and believes in the grace of science that has been given to us to see our path forward. So that's been nice to have that sphere of my life be strong and solid. Uh, it's been wonderful to see people ask good questions and to see when people are hearing different things and say, I'm hearing this, is this true? But then they ask and they seek out. So that's been wonderful. Um, I'm seeing, I, I have say some bits of entertainment like come from away. Uh, uh, like I'm from Newfoundland, so I always kind of loved the idea of Come From Away, the musical, and my wife and I got to see it in real life. And But I've been playing that soundtrack over Some music. and over and over, this soundtrack of songs about people helping each other in an unexpected crisis. Uh, that has been like balm. Um, and exercise has been also critical for me too, but... In the clinic where I work, everybody's, you know, we're all on the same team. We're all working together. And uh, so there's been actually many beautiful things that have come out of all this. I've met, I've made friendships that I never would have expected and probably never would have made had it not been for how we're interacting on figuring out COVID messaging and getting good, reliable information now to the public. Uh, and so there's been in this dark time still some beautiful things happening and looking for the stars instead of looking at the dark has been key uh but there are days when the government when i see graphs projecting all these cases and i know 10 percent of them 10 percent of these kids will have long-term disability 
and this is preventable and our government's doing nothing. There are times when it's just so much and those times I've just sometimes cried and then but my wife says you know tears aren't bad and uh, and after crying comes peace and determination to save every life we can save every kid from social and physical disability save do what we can to repair and get us through this together you know you answered in lots of ways the question that's in the in the story for the day do you want to be well and you've given very clear uh, I want to be well yeah you want to be well <laughs> but I mean I think that's a question we have to ask all ourselves and the people we bump into who seem to not want to be well do you want to be well and if you do this is what it means uh, so I want to I want to thank you for being part of our community uh, and being a, a public witness in the world to uh, good science and good health and healing for all of us. This is not going to be over quickly, but we can take action to move it as quick as we can and then really sit and discern uh, about who we want to be and how we want to be in the world. So I give thanks that you're part of our community and part of this conversation today. Well, thank you, but I also want to thank you. I want to thank Anne. I want to thank the entire team. I want to thank Annie and the board, and I want to thank the congregants. Knowing Hillhurst has got this together, and the space you created for science to kind of help us do the right thing has been wonderful for, I think, all of us. And, you know, I think about our last Thanksgiving, the, the, the service here, and how beautiful that was. And so this, this place, but the people who make this place this place, you've done a really critical thing in this time. So thank you. Thanks, David. Thanks so much for tuning in to Hillhurst United Church, the podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode and are thinking about someone who might enjoy it too, we invite you to send it their way and help the podcast grow. We're really glad you're here and we'd love to know what you thought about today's sermon. Leave us a review in iTunes or send us an email at communications at hillhurstunited.com. We'd love to hear from you.